0: Good morning. How many are glad to be here? Wonderful. Some of you know me and some don't. But two things. Number one, we want you to use your Bible if you brought a Bible. If you didn't, there's one in the back of the pew. So I'd encourage you to take that out right now because we can follow because my goal is to get to the point to make it brief as possible, so we can all go eat. Uh, While you're turning to 1 Corinthians 15, let me just, uh, I need to do this because some will ask, and I know already have asked, but our five children got their Christian education uh, through the faithful teachers and the teachings here at Ambassador Baptist. Uh, We cannot thank you enough for ministering to our children, because all of them, have trusted Jesus Christ, as Savior, and are in good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. Our eldest daughter, Karen, is here uh, with us this morning, and uh, she is the Liz in Ann Arbor and the owner of Culver's Restaurants in southeastern Michigan. Our son, Jim, uh, who is a living in Washington, D.C., <clears throat> he's general sales manager for Salem Communications, which is the largest Christian radio network in America. They have over 2,000 stations. They have 3,000 affiliates, and it is his job to raise the money to keep the stations going, and he's doing a great job. God has really blessed his ministry. Our middle child, Diane, is uh, married to a dentist uh, in uh, Zeeland, Michigan. They live about 15 minutes from us, or we live 15 minutes from them. And uh, he's a wonderful dentist and a wonderful son-in-law and a wonderful friend. And then our son David is married with two twin boys in Hanover, Pennsylvania, and presently he's working on his doctorate in theology, so he's he's keeping busy. And then our youngest Ruth, she was just a little tight when she came with us, uh, is married to a an executive chef, and uh, he has worked for Amway. He's worked for some of the largest corporations in the south, and uh, Ruth and Eric are now ministering at, in a camp ministry in Tacoa Georgia. So they're all busy and all active, and uh, we enjoyed the seven grandchildren and the seven great-grandchildren. And so this morning, I'd like to just focus on one verse, and then go from there, and then we'll come back to it at the close. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, do you all have it? Uh, Use the back of the bulletin or whatever to take some notes because some of this you need to take home with you because it will help in the days ahead. And I know something about what I'm going to talk about this morning. We've experienced it especially in the last three and a half years in our lives, my wife and myself. So we know something about the grace of God. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 and in verse 10. But by the grace of God... I am what I am. We're going to define that later on. And then he says, I am by him, am by the grace of God which we spoke upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. We want to focus on this one word, the word grace, so that we understand. And I've come to appreciate this truth over the last several years. In fact, this word grace is found three times in this one verse. In fact, the grace of God so captured the heart of the Apostle Paul and his pen that it is found in the introduction and the conclusion in each of his 13 New Testament letters. Found over 90 times. Paul was the preacher of the grace of God. And this morning we want to focus together on the grace of God and how it can be experienced and realized in the life of every individual believer or unbeliever. I mean, first of all, we need to define the word grace. Uh, if you were brought up in Sunday school or you've heard preachers preach, it just means unmerited favor, and and that's true. But let me give you an expanded definition that the word grace literally means the free, unmerited, undeserved favor and blessing of God doing for us what we do not deserve. Not many people do that. In fact, no one can do that like God. Because the Bible says that this grace comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.17 said, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so Christ is the author. He's the originator of this grace. Now you say, how can he? Where did he get that grace? Well, we did understand some of the attributes of God. One of which is love. His greatest attribute is that not only is that He holy, but He is also love. And out of His love flows the grace, the mercy, and the peace that Paul wrote about it. Of course, the grace of God was imparted in and through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Of God, Found in Hebrews 10.29, because the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Grace. I found it very interesting that in the New Testament, the Gospel, that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, is called the Word of His Grace. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 3, the Holy Spirit, as we just mentioned, is called the Spirit of Grace. In Hebrews 10.29, and God Himself, God Himself, who is seated in the heavens, is called in 1 Peter 5.10, the God of all grace. And so this morning, I want to introduce to you, if it's never been done before, the subject of the grace of God and explore at least four ways in which God displays His grace. I've counted about 12, but we don't have time. We have lunch at noon, so we'll take just four this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with us to Ephesians Chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. And immediately, uh, we we remember that verse, don't we? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. That's what it says. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Now, Jesus, the Bible tells us here that God's salvation is by grace and faith alone. Now, I understand, I just read this last week, that 90% of the world's population have a religion. Only 10% are atheists or agnostics. 90% of the world's population has some kind of a religion. But you see, religion doesn't save us. Religion does nothing for us eternally because not every religion takes a person to heaven. If I understand the Bible, and I've been studying it for a long time, is that there is only one way to be saved. There is only one way to heaven. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, Jesus is not one of many ways. He's the only way. There is no other way, As the hymn writer said, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. You see, 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven and was implanted in the womb of Mary, the Virgin Mary, lived among men and lived for 33 and a half years and then was taken to a Roman cross, a, 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 a cross called Mount Calvary. We call it Golgotha today. And there He was suspended between heaven and earth. He took on Himself all of our sins. All of yours. Did you know that? There isn't a sin that any of us can commit or ever commit or will commit or have committed but what Jesus did not pay for it on the cross. Can I get an amen out of that? Every sin. So you see, what happens after we are saved and we sin? Well, we don't have to be saved again. Because the sin has already been paid for, and we do first John 1: nine, if we confess our sins, as believers, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. I'm so glad he went to the cross. And I thought about this the other day, sitting in my little office, standing before the, sitting before the communion, I thought of what it must have been like for Jesus to go to the cross. I certainly wouldn't have wanted to go. I wouldn't want to go for you. I wouldn't want to go for myself. But you see, He went to the cross and He took all of our sins. Think of the sins. Think of the weight of the sins from Adam to the last person ever to be born. The Pharisees, the evil sins, the hostilities, the hatred, and the world's sins. All of our sins, yours and mine, were put upon Himself and He bore our sins and shed His blood That we might have eternal life. You see what He did? Jesus took our very worst. The very worst. The most evil of all of us. And gave us His best. And that's eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. And so the ground level. The ground is level at the cross. And all of us must come the same way. Whether we're high, low, educated, uneducated, rich or poor, all must come one way to the cross through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you say, how is that possible? Well, it's very simple. You see, if we realize that we are sinners and we repent and turn from our sins and turn by faith and embrace by faith the Son of God as our personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says He gives us His grace. And he gives us salvation that's so rich and full and free. John Newton, the old reprobate sailor, after he was converted on a stormy sea, had a praying mother, praying for him all during his life. He lived an evil life. But when John Newton came to know Christ as Savior, he wrote these wonderful words, Amazing Grace, How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And John Newton was so enraptured and thrilled with the grace of God that God called him to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. We sing about it also, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt." Let me ask you this morning, have you received Christ as Savior? You can be a member of this church or a member of any church that I've ever pastored or any other church and still not go to heaven. But there is only one way in that to be saved and that is through personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Religious people don't go to heaven. Born again people go to heaven. Save people. I want to say this to you, beloved. I don't know who you are, but there are three preachers here. Pastor Elward. McLaughlin. I have short-term memory after a heart attack a year ago. Myself, if you would like to talk with us, we're available. You just need to say, I need to talk to you, and we'll sit down with you and open God's Word and share with you the Word of God. Romans chapter 12. Let's look at the second area of grace. And I'd like to call this serving grace. Romans chapter 12. the interesting passage. And Paul is writing. You know that Romans is the doctrinal book of the Bible. You want to get settled in doctrine, that is the book. Romans chapter 12 and in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, that means in the body of the local church, and all members do not have the same office or function. Verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one to another. Every believer belongs to another believer. We are fellow Christians, fellow believers, and then look at verses six, Romans twelve six. Having then gifts, abilities, talents, if you please, differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let me suggest to you that every believer, realize it or not, you have been given a divine gift, an ability with which to serve the Savior. It may not be preaching. It could be working in the nursery. It could be working in the fellowship hall. It could be taking care of the little tots. It could be cleaning the church. But in some ministry, we all have a gift. But not only do we have a gift, but we need to understand that grace is also a divine enabling. It enables us to serve the Lord. Enables us by the Holy Spirit... To exercise and use whatever ability and area of service that He calls us to, He enables us to do that. You see, every believer is given a gift, and you need to find out what that gift is. And that's one of the reasons you go to church, because pastors teach this. There's some here in Romans chapter 7, there's some in 1 Corinthians. There are probably 30 some different gifts that are mentioned there. And with that gift comes an enabling grace. And a desire and ability to do what the Lord wants us to do and to minister to others. You say, well, why do we need serving grace? I got to tell you, there are hard places. Not every church I pastored has been easy, it's been a breeze. This one was. Ambassador was a blessing to us. There are obstacles in serving the Lord. There are obstacles in living for the Lord. There are circumstances, sometimes places and sometimes people. Have you ever had people give you a rough time? You know, I don't think you're doing a good job and I can do a better job or I want this position. I want to be a deacon. or And, and so this conflict can go on. And sometimes we just need grace to learn to step down. To humble ourselves. And oftentimes we get tempted and discouraged and want to quit. You say, well, Pastor, have you, ever, have you ever been to that place? You bet I have. There have been many times i thought, well, why just spend all of my time working so hard and laboring so hard and somehow there seems so little fruit. And I, sometimes I've gotten discouraged. I even thought of going into another profession way, way back. But you see, God gives us the grace because it enables us to keep serving, and to keep pressing on. So if you're here this morning and you're doing something in some church, uh, let me suggest, as Pastor mentioned this morning in Sunday school, don't give up. Because that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. And so we keep on, and we keep on serving, we keep pressing on, and we don't stop, and we don't quit, and we just appropriate His grace. And I'll tell you how to get that in a moment. But we appropriate His loving favor and His divine strength. So there's saving grace. There's grace that is available for service. And then I want you to notice in Second Peter, if you'll turn. I don't hear the Bibles turning, but Second Peter chapter 3 and in verse 18. This is one of my favorite verses. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Growing in grace. Let me suggest to you that this is the grace of growing. In fact, 1 Peter 2 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. See, how does a Christian grow? I'll tell you how it is. It's by this book. Those who know the book and read the book and study the book are Christians that are growing. Those who don't are spiritually weak and spiritually anemic. And just as a little baby needs nourishment, so believers need the nourishment and the strength from the Word of God. Let me, let me give you a secret. Could I give you a secret? Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3. You say, what is the value? Why do I need to read the Bible? Why do I need to go to church and listen to that preacher every Sunday? Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why because this verse tells us that we all need the Word of God. Not only privately, but we need it corporately in the family of God in the local church. Listen to this, what Paul wrote to Timothy. This young child, Timothy. In verse 15... Second Timothy 3.15, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Timothy started young. That's the place to start in our spiritual growth. The moment we accept Christ to begin studying the Scriptures. We are able to make thee wise of the salvation through faith as in Christ. And then verse 16, look at All Scripture, and that means Old and New Testament, by the way. All Scripture is given by inspiration. It is God-breathed. And here is what it is good for. It is profitable for four things. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly finished unto all good works. The Christian life is not complete and growing until we are in this book. It doesn't mean that we have to be professors. It doesn't mean we have to be theologians. But it does mean that we have to be readers of the Word. Now let me suggest this to you. The reason the Bible is valuable and essential and necessary in the life of a Christian is first of all as as, uh, Paul told Timothy, he said it's for doctrine. You know what doctrine does? It tells us what's right. We study doctrine to know what It is right what God wants us to do what is right. And then he says it's good for reproof. Reproof tells us what is not right. And we all need reproof. I need it. Every day. Reproof teaches us what is not right. And then correction teaches us how to get right. And number four, instruction tells us how to stay right. May I suggest to you this morning, if you're in this church or another church, the reason you go to church is so that this man of God and that man of God can teach you doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So that's important. You see, if we're not growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're falling behind. We're becoming spiritually deficient in our Christian walk. You see, we cannot lead others to a place where we have not been spiritually. Parents, we cannot lead our children spiritually to where we have not been. And we met a lot of Christians, a lot of families, can understand why their kids are going off on drugs and alcohol and all of these other things is because these parents have never tried to set a reasonable pattern for Christian living. Not only that, but neither can we give to others what we do not have ourselves. We can impart to others what we do not have ourselves. So there is saving grace. I like that. October the 25th, 1942, I turned my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Serving grace, He gives us the gifts, He gives us the enabling to serve Him. We're not alone. He's with us. And then there is what we have just mentioned, spiritual growth. Let me ask you, how's your spiritual growth coming? Have you opened the Bible this week? Have you opened God's Word and searched its pages? You see, if you read three chapters a day and five on Sunday, you can read the Bible through in one year. There's someone sitting here this morning that's a relative of mine and I know that She has read the Bible every year. Read it over 60 times. That's how we grow. We grow in grace and in the understanding and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why a pastor's ministry is so important so that people can come and know what is right and know what is not right and tells us how to get right and tells us how to stay right. And I don't know about you folks, but I need that. We have a pastor where we go to church, James Sound Baptist, who does that very thing. And so today might be a good time for you to start reading God's Word, three chapters a day, and five on Sunday. Like some of you did here when you were here. In the five years we were here, we read the Bible through. And there were probably dozens of the people that got certificates and diplomas for reading the Bible through. Well, then the last one, because our time is up. There is saving grace. There is serving grace. There is growing grace. But the last one is the one that's most tender to my heart, and that is suffering grace. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And in this 12th chapter, the Apostle Paul is relating something of his life and ministry. Uh, but Paul had a problem. Uh, Paul had a had a thorn in his flesh. And uh, he said in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, he said this, Lest I should be exalted above measure. In other words, lest I should be lifted up with pride through the abundance of things God has revealed to me. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, to beat me down, lest I should be exalted above measure. And he tells us in verse 8 that he prayed for deliverance three times, that it might depart from me. Isn't it interesting that Paul didn't pray a year for it? He prayed for it three times. Maybe that's a lesson for us. So Paul is facing a very severe problem. He had prayed for that Three times. Now there's no indication that I find in the New Testament that he ever lacked faith or obedience. Nowhere do we find that Paul ever failed to preach Christ. And yet, what Paul thought was an obstacle and a hindrance was actually a blessing in disguise. And I want you to see that this morning, folks. One of the big problems that we face today as believers is this problem of suffering. Why do Christians suffer? We can understand why unbelievers suffer because they're out of fellowship, they're away from God. but what about the Christian who walks with God and tries to do what the best they can do? And then all of a sudden, they're, they're smitten with a severe problem. Two years ago, Zelma suffered a major stroke in the doctor's office. It was in the hospital for one month, came out God gloriously. Answered prayer. A year ago, this February, I was sitting in church. Our 63rd wedding anniversary, Karen was with us. And I suffered a major heart attack. Blockage, a half-hour window. And had they not gone in, I wouldn't have made it. They put in stents. There's still two more. And they're, hopefully that will be done in the next few weeks. That that will be corrected. But let me just say to you, we know something about Suffering. What was it that God exchanged for Paul's thorn? He says in verse 8, and 9 rather, and he said unto me, My grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient for thee. In verse 9, he says, For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I can do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. So God's loving favor and God's loving kindness in the midst of His struggles, in the midst of His battles, in the midst of His sufferings, in the midst of His difficult circumstances, God exchanged, gave Him grace instead of an answer to prayer. Now, you may not believe this. And I speak because I know and we know that there is grace for every trial. There is grace for every pain, every hurt, every heartache, every disappointment, or every trial. Now, do you believe that, folks? If you can't say amen. Now, I don't know what's happened to you. And I would venture to say that every one of us here are facing some kind of a struggle. Some kind of a problem. Some kind of an issue. Whatever it might be, let me say to you this morning, beloved, that God can give you His grace. And can give you peace. You say, how in the world can that happen? Well, you got to go back to Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews. And here's the answer. Hebrews chapter tw- 4 and in verse 16. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. That's prayer. It is a throne of grace. It is a throne out of which grace is is given that we may obtain mercy and find grace, that's that grace, to help in the nick of time or in the time of need. I don't know what you're suffering this morning because probably everyone here is facing some sort of an issue. You see, well, I don't understand why God has allowed this. Let me just illustrate this as someone has illustrated it to me. You see, we, according to the Old Testament, are like clay in the potter's hand. God is the potter. We are the clay. And the potter chooses to design that clay to His purpose and to His will. It is not for the clay to question the potter because the clay has no authority. And so God molds us and He works in our lives so that He does and He molds us to what He wants us to be. May I say this to you? You are where you are. You're experiencing what you're experiencing. Listen to me. By the grace of God. He has allowed you by His grace for a divine purpose. In 1866, the first child was born into the Johnson family in New Jersey born into a fine Christian family, and they named the little girl Annie. And Annie was uh, a very unusual girl. By the time she was three years old, she had a sister. And that sister and her, they dwelt together and they enjoyed each other's company. But within the time that Annie was five years old, her parents had died, both had died. She was left an orphan. Uh, and so she was taken to another home uh, of someone, of a friend or relative of her parents. She wasn't happy there. Nothing went well there. And finally, there was a family by the name of Flint that said, we want her. They were godly people, wonderful Christian people that took Annie into their home and into their embrace. They were godly people. They took Annie to a revival meeting. And at eight years old, Annie trusted Jesus as her personal Savior and accepted Christ as her Savior. They lived in New Jersey for quite a while, and then she went to normal school to study to be a teacher. And she was to teach English and and writing and literature. And she was there but only three years. And all of a sudden, she was diagnosed with severe arthritis. In fact, she went to a clinic in New Jersey, upper New York rather, and they examined her and they found that she was going to be an invalid and within three years she'd be in a wheelchair. And she was. And she lived most of her adult life handicapped, couldn't understand it, and yet she accepted God's will for her life. And she struggled and struggled, and she wrote from the depths of her soul and depths of her heart, we have some of those words and songs in our hymn books. But when it came to the very last days of her life, crippled, disabled, she couldn't even write any longer. Her fingers were all knurled and torn up. She couldn't write anymore. And so when friends came to see her, and they said, because it won't be long, they came in and they said to her, uh, Annie, is there anything you need? And these were his words, her words. She said, no, I have need of nothing. And everything is all right. And then two hours later, she went to heaven. But before she died, she wrote these words. Listen to them. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater, He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To bad an affliction, He addeth His mercy to multiplied trials His multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. Written by Annie Johnson Flint. Now what is Paul saying in closing? And I've gone over, but you'll forgive me. I won't be back for a while. What is Paul trying to say? I think what Paul is trying to say here, and I've looked this up, I've looked commentaries, I've prayed about this, I've examined this all my life, and I think what Paul is trying to teach us something that very few people have yet to learn. And that is the true value and worth of every believer. Do you know what you're worth? Oh, I hear people say, well, you know, man, I've got a million dollars. That's not biblical worth. People talk about they have the reputation, they've got the worth of a name, of reputation or lack thereof. They've got an education, they have material possessions, they have a certain station in life and, or where we live, the kind of a house we live in and the job that we have and a host of others. But I believe Paul was teaching, at least he's teaching me, that the value and the worth of of any person, red, yellow, black, and white, the song says they are precious in His sight, that our value and our worth is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the grace of God. So the next time you look in the mirror, and probably you'll do that when you get home to see if everything's in place, or you wake up in the morning, men, and you shave, or ladies, you fix your hair, you get ready to go to work, or ready to do housework. Let me suggest to you, and I do this, Look in that mirror and say to yourself, you know, there is the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And folks, before God, we are nothing more and nothing less. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I'm going to encourage you this morning to focus on the grace of God. I don't know why things happen to you. I don't know why things happen to us. We're such wonderful people. You know, I mean, why, why, why would that? But you see, he is the potter. And we are the clay. And he has something that he's making out of you and out of me. Not for our benefit, but for his glory. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. But by the grace of God, Paul said, that's who I am. I am who I am by the grace of God. And I'm doing what I'm doing by the grace of God. He said the grace of God was with me. So remember that that's all we are. We're just sinners saved by what? Grace. Father, thank you for loving us. We cannot begin in a million years to thank you for what you bore for us on the cross. The weight of our sin must have been heavy. And as the Scripture says, My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? And as He shed His precious blood, Lord, that makes us to want to bow down before Him and say, Lord, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for allowing me to have some part in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, wherever it is, Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for helping me to grow in grace. And Lord, thank You for the afflictions of life. I don't understand it. don't like it. But knowing, Lord, that You are doing something in each of our lives so that the potter will ultimately receive the honor and the glory all because of His marvelous grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. And all of God's people said.